And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Christian Sundberg. At the age of 30, Christian took up a meditation practice and went through a personal awakening journey as he remembered his existence before coming to Earth. During that time, he also began to have out-of-body experiences. And today we're going to talk about that. Christian, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you don't mind, can we just start uh, when you took up the meditation practice and can you give us a little background on how you started having these pre-birth memories? Yeah, sure. So, okay, so my body is 41 years old right now. All right. 11 years ago at about the age of 30, I took up a long-term meditation practice because I began to follow the work of the physicist and consciousness explorer, Tom Campbell. And, uh, at first it was just an intellectual process. You know, I was just reading his book, watching his videos and learning, but he recommended that, um, the individual pursue meditation as a form of investigation. So I didn't have any expectation. I just began meditating every day. And after a few months, I began to have uh, non-physical experiences, out-of-body experiences. And the first time that I had one, it was very shocking and eye-opening and my worldview quickly changed. <laughs> and then not long after that, I began to have memory return to me of a time that I existed before my human life here. And this memory I recalled was something that I knew when I was young, before the age of six. But I had forgotten it after the age of six. So all of my adult life, I did not have that memory. But now, now that it's returned, it's quite um, <laughs> it's something that's on my mind every day. Because it's so, um, I don't know, it's so real and in my face and uh, integral to what I'm doing here. First thing I'd like to know is, can you tell me about the meditation practice that you were doing? Is there a specific format of the meditation? Yeah. So Tom Campbell has an exercise in his book, which could be loosely described as transcendental meditation. But the form of the meditation I found is not particularly important. Uh, you know, we like to think about form, about what words or what process we're using. Um, this, so we can call it transcendental meditation, but the important thing was that I gained the ability to control my focus and I gained increasing familiarity then with my awareness itself uh, beneath thought. And so as that began to occur, larger parts of myself began to rise up on their own. So if you wish, I can share just kind of a, a brief uh, summary of my rebirth experience, if you'd like, if that would help the audience. Um, and then we can probably speak about more about the, you know, the meditation, if that's pertinent. Sure. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, just as a very quick disclaimer, um, these things cannot be spoken about with language. And I'm aware that your audience probably already knows this. <laughs> but I just have to say for those who may be listening that our true nature transcends form. It transcends the world of duality and the world of, of this dense distinction that we experience here while human. So the words that we use in the human context, they're just <laughs> vastly insufficient to speak to who we truly are, um, the, the higher realms, our, our true nature. It just cannot be articulated. Okay. So that being said, um, I remember a very long time ago, and again, time is really hard to speak about too, because while these memories do have a sequence, they're all happening at once. And they transcend the linear time that we experience commonly here on Earth. Okay, but I remember engaging this being long ago before I had had any physical incarnations at all. 
And when I came across this being, I felt from him this incredible freedom and power and beauty in his, in his nature and who he was, what he had become, like the, the, the nature of the being that he was. And I was deeply inspired by what I felt from him. And I asked him, uh, and again, this isn't words, it's telepathic. I asked him, like, my goodness, how did you, how did you get to be this? How did you, how did you become this? And he shared with me that he had lived physical lives and he shared with me one in particular in which he had suffered. He had been sick or had some kind of physical painful ailment that lasted for many years, a long time. And the way in which he met that experience had a profound impact on his, um, on who he was, on his nature, on his essence. It, It allowed a refinement and a growth towards love and freedom that was just unspeakably beautiful and powerful and so I said, I want to do that. <laughs> like, I, I want to do that. I will do that. And he kind of, at first, almost playfully brushed me off. Like, yeah, that's what they all say. Like, it's hard in a way that you don't know, that you've never known before. But I was persistent. I said, no, I really, I, I mean it. I want to do this. And he said, well, go talk to your guides. So I did. And I lived many lives since then. And the majority of this memory that I have is of a time immediately preceding this human life where I had taken a long break after previous incarnations. And after taking a long break, I remember this guide coming to me while, like, while I was resting, so to speak. I was in this realm of gold, and I was full of freedom and, um, and joy and bliss. And, but this guide coming to me and occasionally asking, are you ready to go back yet? Are you ready to go back yet? And just putting him off for a while and eventually saying, okay, I'm ready. And then reviewing with this guide what I can only describe as my state, like who I was, who I had been, what I had done. Um, and it was very clear in this review what I needed to do, like what I needed to work on, so to speak. I don't really like the word work on, but what I needed to experience and grow through. Um, and it was the best English word we can use is it was a fear. It was a very low vibration experience that had bested me in a previous experience. And so I very much wanted to uh, re-engage that because I knew that if I could do that, there would be an absolutely incredible growth permitted, a growth of, of being, a growth of the bliss and joy of being. And that I would be serving not only myself, but I would be serving the whole, you know, if I could do this, if I could meet this experience. And uh, I was extremely excited at the opportunity, at the thought of, of doing this, even though I, would, I knew it would be very challenging, <laughs> eventually. So they brought me a life so, for that purpose. And I reviewed that life. And I accepted that life. And I accepted the veil. The veil is, is just a word. But it is the constraints in consciousness space that we agreed to adopt in order to have physical experience. And it's very hard to explain or describe, but it feels like, at least for me, it felt like a, um, I like to describe it like an amplifier that produces a pitch, I guess, like a tone, like, like a vibration. And then when you accept the veil, it's like a diving deep down, down, down and having your, your true being obscured and that pitch just dropping down drastically, like, and once you get to the bottom, keep turning it down and then turn it down some more. And then more, 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 keep going. And then turn it down some more. <laughs> you know, that, that's how it felt to, um, to come all the way down to this 
physical vantage point. You know, I, if I knew that each physical lifetime was like a vibrational vantage point that we could arrive to. And this one was, it was very low vibration, very dark. And I, I really immediately resisted the feeling of not remembering all of who I really was and feeling cut off from my true nature. I felt, I felt like I had lost everything that I am. Um, and so I immediately responded in, in fear in this life. And I was still in the womb at this point. I was, I had not been born yet, but I summoned my might and I smoked the veil. I fought my way out. I pushed my way out past it. And I, um, inadvertently then had killed the fetus. I had killed the body that was to be mine. And I had a life review for this very, very short life. Like, <laughs> I don't know how long I was there, but it was super short. And in this life review, I knew that uh, I had affected the mother in a very negative way. I had heaped sorrow on her and not only um, on her, but on hundreds of other people that had been, that would be, and had been negatively impacted by the mother. Um, so I had great intentions going in, but my fear was, was so great that I did not succeed. <laughs> and, and from that side, you know, that all is well and it's okay. Uh, you know, you can't truly fail. But I also was just, I just very objectively knew like, I, wow, I, <laughs> I could do better than that. I, I felt, I was like, wow, I really have a lot of fear. I got to work on that. So that life opportunity was wasted. And um, so then they brought me this life. And this life was not as optimal as that life would have been. It wasn't bad. It was still pretty good, but it wasn't as perfect as the other one would have been, but it still had a lot of potential. And I remember reviewing this life in vast detail. Um, I describe it like a flow chart uh, of millions and millions of possibilities of what this life could be, how it might unfold, who, who I would be and what it would feel like to be me at these various points throughout my life. And it was like if you took a tree and laid it on its side and you started at the thick part of the trunk and then you worked your way out towards the branches and there were like thinner, less likely branches, but there were some thicker branches that were very likely to happen. And it was like that, except it was energetic and it was, um, it was probabilistic about how my life would or could unfold. So I reviewed it with great excitement. I asked certain things about the life. I asked if I could, um, for instance, be intelligent in this life. I knew that I had, I had preferred to be intelligent in previous lives. And they said, yes, I could do that. I knew that it would be important for me to be male in this life because I knew that being a male would give me a certain kind of edge to face this fear. Not, not that females, that's, that's nothing, uh, not at all speaking to uh, the two sexes here. I just know that there's a certain quality to being male uh, that happened to be helpful in this case for me to meet this certain fear. And I knew that my father in this life would instill confidence in me and that that confidence would be paramount to me being able to have a chance to meet this fear when it arrived in my 20s. And it did arrive in my 20s. I saw that there was a very likely chance that I would suffer a trauma in my 20s that would crush me and allow me to re-engage this fear. And that did happen. <laughs> I did experience that. So I reviewed all this. And then, um, okay, so then I, there, I know there was a moment to say yes. I don't, I don't remember that moment. But I do remember then being in like a waiting area and waiting to begin. And then this guide coming to me and being like, go now, like very suddenly, like grabbing my attention, like now's the time you got to get on earth time now, buddy, <laughs> you know, like move it. 
And then being with these guides that I can only describe as technicians or tinkerers, they were very mechanical in nature. And they do this thing where they like meet, match you with the life, like the spirit, the soul has certain qualities, like a certain nature to its essence. And the life has certain context and uh, things going on with it in the body. And they do this thing where they like, they make it all fit so that the veil is uh, personal for you. And so, so then I was there in this, in this room with them that I, I saw what looked like a huge pit leading down. Um, and they asked me one last time, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Because once you say yes here, you're in, you're in for the ride. <laughs> like, there's no getting, there's no, there's no getting out of the roller coaster. You know, once you, once you say yes here and I agreed. And then I remember the veil coming over me once again. And once again, feeling this incredible descent, this incredible drop in vibration and having my knowing be cut off and like feeling like everything that I was disappearing and all my connectedness feeling like it was vanishing and and arriving to this place that it just felt so dark and alone and empty and dense, um, all those things. And so in this case, I just, this time I just tried not to fight it (laughs) because I knew that I had failed the previous time by rejecting it. So I just, I just said, okay, just let go, surrender your control, you know, and just let the veil do what it will do. And so, um, so that happened. And I remember sending one message back to the technicians. Did it take, you know, like did the veil take? And they sent one message back. Yes, it took. And And I was happy and relieved that I had made it. I had made it here. So then I was here for a while and, and then after a while I said, you know what? I'm not doing this. <laughs> like, this is so dark. This is so low vibration. I, I am not myself. I'm not tolerating this. It's just, I'm not doing this. So once again, I began to muster my might to fight my way out. And as I did that, this most beautiful moment happened for me. That's very precious to me where what I can only describe as the great spirit of source, God, whatever word we want to use, came to me and showed me, uh, released me back out for a moment and showed me all of what I was. I felt all of the stars and the universe within me. And I felt the joy and the bliss of being. And I felt the bliss of the sun. You know, I felt our sun churning and, and how the very churning of the sun was, was full of bliss. And I, and, and the spirit said to me, this is still what you are. You can never not be this. So, um, so that calmed me a lot. You know, it really, it really was like, oh, that's, oh, that's wonderful. That's what I, <laughs> that's still the name. Oh, okay. That's okay. And so I surrendered. I let go and, um, into the simple existence of being in the womb. And uh, then I was there for a while. And then the next memory I have is being born. Um, I remember the shock of being born, the, 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 the sight, the sound, the sensory information, you know, the, the, the cold, the touching. But I remember having no, like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have any intellectual understanding at all. It was just totally like, <laughs> something's happening. I don't know what it is. It's extreme. Who are these beings who are taking care of me? You know, that I could recognize there were beings there doing things. But it was very shocking. and um, And I didn't have any, like... I didn't have any understanding at all, but I was, I remember being very curious. 
And so, um, so that's pretty much it. Later, as I grew, though, I thought back to these memories, and I used to look back at the flowchart memory and like cheat a little bit, like try to see what was going to happen. Like, oh, like what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, like, <laughs> just because you're as a kid, you're curious about what's happening. And I remember assuming that certain things from that higher state of being and the other realities would be true here. For instance, I remember assuming that everybody would be able to feel each other's emotions here because that's very normal in other reality systems that we can share our feeling. We can share who we are. And um, that's not how it works on earth. <laughs> I also remember believing that um, people who are in positions of authority in this world would be loving and wise, you know, like teachers, um, you know, if you're the mayor of a city, you must be super loving and wise, that kind of thing. Well, that's not really how it works on earth either. You know, it, it took me years to realize, wow, that, that <laughs> this human society is not, doesn't really know what's going on. Anyway, so that memory left me by the age of five or six, definitely by seven, but probably by five or six. And so I had no, no recollection of that at all. And it wasn't until after I had experienced this great trauma at the age of 22 and spent, I spent about seven or eight years um, going through counseling, EMDR therapy through a, with a counselor and facing and feeling this, these levels of fear that had given rise to this experience in my 20s. And I, I faced and felt it and healed a great deal. And I now know that um, only, it was only because I did that. And then subsequently through meditation that this, this awareness could return. You know, because now I, I, I'm at a different vantage point now than I was before. Then I, I would not have been able to meet that experience and to, and to really have that experience um, otherwise. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, let's go back to the beginning here. When you met this being, do you felt like it was just a regular human? Or do you feel like it was some kind of ascended master that had been on Earth and kind of mastered Earth? So we're not human. So it's not a matter of whether he was human. Mm-hmm. Human is just a character that we experience being for a while. Right. I, I actually don't know what race or even what world he was on or what. I don't know anything about that. I just know that he shared with me the, the physicality of his experience and the pain that he ex- had experienced in his physical body that lasted for years. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been human, but I don't know. Um, as for being an ascended master, I mean, all I can say is this being was incredibly evolved and powerful. And um, that, that power, that um, quality of his nature was so uh, deep and apparent and, and feelable. You know, I could feel it just being with him and I could feel all that joy that he knew within himself. Um, so does that make him an ascended master? I don't know. I, I, I would not put a name on him. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> careful not to do that, but I just know that he was very evolved. So in that, in that sense, perhaps, but I don't know. It appears that you came to this life with your main goal of being able to um, overcome fear. At this point in your life, do you think you've achieved that goal? So the, the quality of what I'm trying to do is too broad for a single path, but um, I have accomplished, uh, I hate to use the word accomplished. It makes it sound (laughs) so human. Like I have, I have done, an important part of the, of the walk in this life, a very important part. I've taken a very important step. Mm -hmm. I feel that I have integrated the main thing that I need to integrate in this life. 
Uh, but it, but it's an ever going thing. You know, it's, um, it's complex and our, our limitations and our fears are not like one thing. They're connected to, you know, other <laughs> things. So it's a, it's a, it can be a lifelong walk. So if, and when fear arises or pain arises, that's okay. You know, I choose to allow that and experience that and not fight it. And every time it is an opportunity, but I, I will say though, that I am, I'm at a place now that is vastly different than who I used to be because I've been willing to face and feel the crap, you know, own, own my own crap. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still trying and work. I'm still trying to do that and work towards doing that. You were using the word "the veil," right? Yeah. And it's. It, I feel like it's kind of a loose term from person to person, and some people will, I think, describe it as if they've pierced the veil, and now after they've had their NDE, they're able to keep tapping into other resources or abilities that they didn't have before this near death experience, like as if there's a crack into it. Yeah. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, I know. I think that is how it works. So um, the veil is just a term we use. Uh, The way I like to describe it is it's a set of consciousness constraints that you agree to accept. So to put it in like a human metaphor, it's like wearing a cloak or getting into a spacesuit or something. It's something that, it, it, it's like it gets draped over you, over your pre-existing consciousness. So we exist before we're born. <laughs> and then when we have full access to all knowledge of who we are and, and what is. And so the veil allows us to be um, cloaked from the totality of what we are so that we can have the very precious experience of operating from the human vantage point. You know, it allows us to be this specific human character and, and, to, and to truly be this human character, the very, the very uh, precious rubber meets the road thing is that you don't have full conscious memory access to everything else that you are. You have to be just, I mean, it feels like you're just the human character. So then when you're done with the experience, you can look back and be like, oh my goodness, I was actually that. Like I had this perspective of being <laughs> you know, this person and only this person. And wow, that was incredible. Okay, so, but what we really are never changes. This is super, super important. Our consciousness, our spirit itself, it's always what we truly are. Uh, It's always connected to all things. We are always ourselves. It can't truly be um, totally veiled. The veil is simply a set of constraints that we've agreed to surrender ourselves to for a while. So it's like something we wear. I'm just a metaphor. Okay, so near-death experiencers, those who may have uh, been relieved of it for a time. Um, I do feel that it is pretty common that then once they're here, the veil is never fully applied in the same way again, because they've already stepped past it. So you can't go back uh, because now there's like, I, I guess a piercing the veil is an, is an okay physical metaphor. I mean, it's not a physical thing, <laughs> right. but yeah, it, that's a, that is not a bad way. That is not a bad way to put it. If you have pierced the veil, do you feel like that once you've had some type of an experience like that, is it yeah. lessening your experience now? Because it's kind of like in a game, you have you have this advantage now. Well, first of all, I, I would not say it's an advantage. In fact, I feel that having some active conscious awareness of our higher natures can be a disadvantage because the contrast is even greater. Because now the contrast between there and here is known, at least in part, and there, the other side, 
is such high vibration, so beautiful, so full of life and joy and power and, and freedom and, and beauties that cannot even be named, that having even the tiniest bit of awareness of that and being here can be super painful. Um, it can also prompt a homesickness that can be debilitating. Um, as for does it lessen the human experience? Um, well, okay, so in my pre-birth memory, I remember asking to have a very small amount of memory this time. I didn't want to forget all the way. And they said that I could do that, but it would make this life more challenging because of the contrast I just mentioned. But I knew in that state that even that contrast was an opportunity for growth. Like even that contrast, all contrast is a creative tool. It, it, it is an opportunity. So I knew that that was the case. Uh, so I agreed. Now, does it change the human experience? Yes, it, it certainly does change the human experience. Um, you know, you know, you're not the human character all the way. So that will change what is possible from the human experience. Does that say does that lessen it? I, I wouldn't say it lessens it. Um, it's just a different type of experience with different opportunity. You know, like our, our perspective is important, you know, like <laughs> where we operate from can can uh, provide a meaning or an opportunity. And so if you change that with awareness of our higher selves, then there's just a different opportunity. Yeah. I mean, just having some type of certainty that we even yeah. continue on after this life and not only having that, but <laughs> like you said, experiencing a place that's so amazing, connective, loving, re-experiencing that and then being back here brings up a whole new set of circumstances that you've got to learn to deal with. Well, well, I'm very fortunate that I'm veiled. So mm -hmm. I relate to near-death experiencers who have really pierced the veil, so to speak, and they uh, do suffer, um, like you just said, because now they have to deal with the new, <laughs> new circumstances. Do you think that as someone who has a near-death experience that was planned before coming into this life? So some, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes those experiences are planned, and sometimes they're not planned. Um, just like certain exit points in our lives, sometimes are planned, and sometimes they're not. In my case, I'm aware of at least one potential exit point that may happen in my future. Um, I don't talk about it, but I know that it's possible. I feel that I've been reducing the probability of it occurring. So because of that, I feel that it's very possible that certain events like an NDE could be planned. But I think the thing is, okay, so this physical experience is a free will system. There's billions of people making choices every day. And while spirit is super good at anticipating the choices that will be made ahead of time, um, it, it is free will. And so unanticipated outcomes happen all the time. Um, so because of that, there is a novelty to this experience. Actually, that's one of the main beautiful points that Earth offers is that it, is, it offers a a chance at true novelty, you know, because here there are things that may happen that are not anticipated. And then we have to, oh, wow, that's exciting. Now we get to decide how are we going to deal with, what are we going to do with that? So sometimes even things like physical death or an accident, you know, that could potentially happen in a way that was not anticipated hmm. or it could be planned <laughs> depending. I want to let everybody know that Christian has a new book out and it's called a walk in the physical and this book draws from his pre-birth memories. And I was taking a look at his book. And so I have some questions here that I've yeah. kind of taken from your book. And first, just simply, what in your opinion is consciousness? So when we're here on earth, we perceive that reality is comprised of things. 
So stars, trees, objects, linear time, discrete location. And these, these, this is how we perceive reality. So when we seek to understand reality with a thinking human mind, we want to know what things is reality. So, so when we ask a question like, what is consciousness? Consciousness must be something. And there's these other things called stars and trees. So what is consciousness? What other things can I associate with it that will let me understand what it is? Unfortunately, <laughs> actually very fortunately, I should reiterate that. Fortunately, there's nothing that can describe truly what consciousness is because it is the substance of what is. It is the, it is the substrate within which all this form is arising and occurring. So you can't take a given descriptor, a given form, and say, oh, consciousness is that. No, consciousness is the that which is. It's the beingness that knows existence. It is the I perspective. It is, it is the knower of the form. It is not the form itself. So I'm sorry if that sounds abstract, but I do feel that's very important because it's like the, like the question, what, you know, who is God, what is God? It, it, you cannot potentially take some set of words and successfully say, oh, now we've identified what it is. We can use metaphors. So if you want to use a metaphor, consciousness is like, it, so if existence is the ocean, consciousness is the water, you know, and the things that occur in the ocean are made of water. The, the, the current move and the water moves. The water has different salinity in different places, different temperatures, different movements, but it's all water. Um, that's, that's an okay metaphor for, say, for what consciousness is. Would you say that your body and what you are in this realm is a manifestation of consciousness in this realm? And when you, you know, when you leave this realm, consciousness, the I am, I think, as you said, is in another form. Yes. Oh, yes. So the body is, this is going to sound pretty strange to some people, but the body is actually not a fundamental object that you're in. The body is an experience that is happening in you. So the eye that is knowing having a body feels like it's the body, but the body is actually made of and is taking place within the consciousness of the participant itself. And there are states of being that you, that one can know that physically feel it. Um, it's like um, this in, inverted moment. I, I don't know how to describe it where it's possible to uh, through meditation or uh, I don't want to say through med- I don't even want to say there's some action you can perform because that gives the wrong impression. But there are states of being where you can feel experientially know that your body is actually happening within your much greater, broader consciousness that transcends the locality of it. Okay, so now does that consciousness affect how the body manifests? Yes. Uh, very much. Our fears, our thoughts, our intentions, our love all impact the body and its chemistry every day. There are different sets of constraints we sign up for biologically. You know, so if you if you want to sign up and have a body that ha- is missing a certain gene or has one arm, you know, or is blind, that is the nature of your constraints for that body for the lifetime. Um, and so there are certain limitations to what you can do. Well. I want to say there are limitations, but also there's not a true limitation because ultimately consciousness has the true power. So, so technically there's nothing that's beyond the scope of consciousness, <laughs> but realistically speaking, day to day speaking, there are such things as limitations that we deal with physically, um, you know, and then we see how we operate within those limitations. 
Can we affect those limitations? Definitely, very much. So based on what you're saying, that consciousness is what you are, then how does somebody have an out-of-body experience Uh if that is what you are? How how does that separateness occur? That's an excellent question, and it's actually so... The, the short the short comment is the body, your physical body is an experience happening within you. And so are other reality systems that you can engage that are very physical and real feeling. Just like your body feels very physical, very physical. There are higher states of being that are, are even more, at least this physical. They feel completely physical when you're there, but they are higher, they're different reality systems. So how is that occurring? Well, you don't actually have to leave a body because the body is, is uh, to borrow a term from Tom Campbell, it's virtual. It, it, it's an experience that is taking place on that which already exists, which is your consciousness itself. So it's more like your consciousness, think of it like a movie screen with a movie playing on it. But you can tune into other movies. So now instead of the physical movie playing on it, you can go to another reality system and now there's a completely different movie with completely different content, completely different rules, completely different everything on the same existing movie screen that never went anywhere. Consciousness doesn't have to go anywhere. There is no such thing as discrete location. You know, it's not like you're sitting there stuck in your body and I'm sitting here stuck in my body. What's happening is you're conscious and aware. <laughs> I'm conscious and aware. And we're having an experience that is virtual. It seems like you're there. I'm here. It seems like this is my... This is my form. That's your form. But really what's happening is an experience, my experience, your experience, and the experience of everyone else who's listening today. That's, that's really what's happening. And so that consciousness that is knowing those things is not technically limited to the physical experience. Tom Campbell describes it as a data stream, like your consciousness is receiving a data stream. And if you tune into another reality, you are receiving a new data stream rather than the physical one. All right. In your book, you talk about the prism of the human mind. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So the reality that we're in right now is very dense and rigorous, and but it's also neutral. And so what, what I talk about is how we place the meaning on our lives through interpretation and belief. Okay. So then we believe something. So when we're young, we're taught many things by our parents. Most of it we just absorb and buy into. And then as we get older, we may question those beliefs. But whatever we believe about ourselves and about the world, that is how ourselves and the world appear to us. Okay. So like if you believe the world is a dark and evil place, you will see the evidence of that everywhere you look. If you believe the world is a beautiful place, you will see the evidence of that everywhere you look. Not only because the Consciousness tends to be selective. Well, I shouldn't say consciousness is selective. The mind tends to be selective of the information that it beholds, not only because of that, but also because consciousness is always applying the meaning. So Earth is an opportunity to have a certain cognitive perspective, the human perspective. And what I mean by the prism is the entire experience of the of this reality around us is bent to an appearance that aligns with exactly what we perceive about it, exactly what we believe about it. Um, So our minds are very powerful, uh, not only in that they change how we perceive the world, but also then whatever we expect and whatever intent we are wielding in all of our choices, that very intent itself 
those things are actually affecting the world physically too. The world actually manifests, as the word <laughs> that's used, manifestation, manifests differently <clears throat> depending on what's going on in our consciousness. So the human mind is actually very important. You know, we, we focus so much on things here, physical events, what we can see, smell, touch. Even more important is what, what meaning are we placing upon it and why and who are we really? Who's the I that is doing that? That is the more fundamental question. And as we explore that, oh man, there's so much amazing potential that we can have in our experience. We can change how we experience life and we can change things in life <laughs> for the better when we're able to do that within ourselves. Okay, you just said we could change things in life for the better, but does that negate the point that what we came here for was to experience life of possible suffering or whatever we needed to learn? Okay, so the possible suffering that we're here to experience, it's not that we come for suffering. We, we are beings of love and freedom and joy. That's who we are. And then we engage a reality of very high constraints. It's more about the extremity of constraints. It's not about required suffering. In fact, there's never technically a requirement to suffer. There are only very extreme constraints that we try to engage the best we can. And that means that we try to meet with a quality of intent that is the best we can, that is loving intent and not fearful intent. That's what the whole name of the game is about is love. Can we meet every given experience with love and all the things love means and not fear and its ego and all the things that fear and ego mean? So we are allowed to then, there's, we are allowed to be free of suffering in these constraints. And in fact, that is a most, most worthwhile and beautiful thing to do. It's not that suffering is, has been created because it's, it's necessary and it's this, it's this thing that we've got to like, we've got to have. No, suffering happens because we're imperfect and we haven't evolved all the way yet. Suffering happens because we engage in a super high contrast, a super high constraint experience of separation. And then we panic <laughs> because now that we're separate, Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's real. I feel like I have no power. All, and then fear arises. And then once the fear arises, we spend so much effort and energy in our lives trying to cover up and, and, and heal that fear, do whatever we can to fix that fear. That's what the ego does. Any belief I can grab onto that'll make me feel better about myself or my group, I'll grab onto that. Or any, anything I can define, like, look, I have value now because now I did good in college or I got a good paying job. Look, I have money in my bank account. So now I'm worthwhile. You know, the ego plays all the tricks it can to try to fix the problem, and, which is that we feel separate and that we don't fully remember who we are. But none of that, but no, in, in none of that is suffering actually required. It's that we come here to do our very best to meet those experiences the best we can. And as we all evolve towards love, suffering will very greatly reduce and diminish and perhaps someday even be mostly gone. I mean, there's going to be physical pain. Uh, I'm not describing, uh, I'm not including physical pain in the, in the term suffering. Um, physical pain may happen, but even physical pain itself is just a sensation. It doesn't have a meaning on it until you put a meaning on it. So in that case, even physical pain is not an unacceptable um, ex experience. And I say that coming from a lifetime of knowing pain. That's what I'm here to, my, the fear that I'm here to deal with is, is the inability to escape pain. So I don't say that lightly. 
I know that it can be very, very hard, very, very hard to meet one's experience with openness and acceptance and presence and love when you're in pain. Um, but um, is there a need ever to suffer through that? Technically, no. And in fact, it is a great calling to do the very best we can to heal that suffering, to heal the world. Um, when that, that's a wonderful thing. So it's not that we sign up just for suffering. It's that we sign up for high, high constraint. And then we see the very, but how good can we do in that, in that contrast? Now it can be useful for others. There's experiences that can be had only through certain high contrast situations. Definitely. But will those high contrast situations perpetuate forever? Is that the goal? No. The goal is to evolve towards love, to really evolve what we truly are so that even those high contrast situations can be met with love. And, and peace and joy and presence. And when we do that, suffering will no longer arise. Are you saying that we have ego because that helps us with our ability to handle fear? Or is ego something separate than fear and that's something else that we need to work on? And if so, how do we work on reducing our ego? Yeah. I feel that ego arises from fear. It is simply the, the term we use for the portion of the self portion of the human personality portion of the self not the higher self <laughs> the local personality the portion of the self that tries to fix the problem of fear and um so ego is a direct sign towards fear where there is ego there's a fear somewhere maybe hundreds of layers down <laughs> maybe under hundreds of layers of story and 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 crap but at the bottom of that is something we're not willing to face or feel, something we reject, something that prompts a, a huge amount of fear in us. So ego is actually an, a helpful signpost because it can be like when you identify it in yourself, what is it that you're afraid of? What, what is it? In what way are you rejecting reality that you have this ego? So you don't really need to work on ego. You basically need to work on fear and ego will dissipate on its own. Yes, I think that's an okay way to put it. But for those who are not able to locate a root fear, which is very common, start with ego because ego is the surface. So you have to start at the surface to get down you know, to the, to the root. You know, I've never been a Buddhist, so I don't know for sure what they do. But mm-hmm. I feel like being a Buddhist monk is something that it's pretty much an experience of trying to be egoless. So if the idea of being egoless is arising from ego, it is still ego. Mm. Uh, But if the attempt to face ego is true of heart, true of intent, then they will be given opportunities like all of us will to face and feel what is necessary. I mean, all of us are here to face, um, all of us are here to evolve towards love, which includes facing fear and ego because um, that's what what we really are is love. So when we're ready to do that, whatever the context, whether it be Buddhist or some other context, when we're ready to do that, or when we're actually ready, like not just in my mind, like, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual now. I'm going to do the spiritual thing. See, look how good I am. I mean, when you're really ready to own your crap and, and to like with humility, meet your own garbage, <laughs> take ownership for your own life, take, take ownership for yourself. You've had enough suffering from all the ego that's not ultimately working. Okay then the universe will give you opportunities. Your higher self will give you opportunities. These things will arise for you to be faced and felt no matter the context. 
So do you think that the point of coming to Earth is or only is for personal growth? So no. Um, anytime the word on, so typically when we're asking about spiritual purpose, usually if the word only is in there, it's probably not accurate because spirit is very broad in, in its, in its uh, totality. Okay, so the primary thing that the universe offers is the opportunity for the expansion of joy and love through the integration of experience, through choice making. But we are also extremely creative beings. And so another major thing that the physical experience offers is the ability to participate in creativity in very new ways. In fact, a lot of people are here on the earth with life intentions that are based in creativity, uh, sometimes very unique goals of creativity that won't even make sense to the human mind. But we are so creative then that, boy, this is one heck of a canvas. If you can uh, metaphorically paint the picture on earth, or maybe even literally, wow, that, that is an incredible uh, feat. Another thing that we do here on earth is we come for each other, you know, because others have come and we love each other and we want to serve each other and to help each other. So many people come just to play some role or be some person or some support for a friend or a family member. Uh, the words friend and family member are hard to differentiate because we're all very deeply connected to each other. We're all family. But for our family, we, you know, we come uh, to serve them in some way. And that would be an intention born primarily out of love. Now, does it have to be only one of these things? No, of course not. Um, all experience is rich in its opportunity. And it's just that being human and being on earth is such an extreme and unique and high contrast opportunity that it's just chock full of uh, potential, it's chock full of, of um, I don't know how else to put it. The, the language really limits this. It's chock full of what can arise from it, the ways we can change from it, the ways we can serve each other from it, the things we can create through it. And then that change that we do in ourselves, by the way, not only is local here on earth, we also are affecting other reality systems right now just by being here. There are entire other reality systems that are thought responsive that arise from the thought environment of Earth. <laughs> that sounds super abstract. So even doing things on Earth in that, in that way affects other reality systems. We're, we're participating in other reality systems without even knowing. So it's a, it's a pretty broad question, um, but I'll just say that expansion of what we are, expansion of love and joy is the primary thing, but it's far, it's far vaster than that. I talk to UFO people and I talk to some near-death experiencers that when they're out there in another, the other, the astral or whatever you want to call it, some people will see God or Jesus or angels, but some people will see aliens. Yeah. And you just mentioned other realities. What is your opinion on that as I bring this up to you? What is my opinion on which aspect of that? Well, that what do you are, think about, do you think that what other realities are, are consciousness living as other beings like alien beings? Yes. Planets, uh, this doesn't have to be a human. It can be a, a gerbil or, you know, it can be a, an alien on another planet. Our, our, uh, our galaxy is ridiculously vast. We're talking hundreds of billions of, stars each with its own systems there are probably many planets out there and uh so incarnation can occur on any of them it doesn't have to happen on earth but then our entire physical experience okay our entire physical system imagine it metaphorically like a video game server it's one server 
you don't have to come to this server. You can log into a different server, mm -hmm. some with very different rules. And there are systems above systems. The astral is just the word we use for the thought response or reality system. Well, typically the way it's used is the thought response or reality system preceding ours, you know, above our own, where thoughts are like physical objects. And there's a lot that, that takes place from there. But that's just another system. So, yes, consciousness knows it all. The, the, the knower is the, the shared root. And that knower can be many things. Like right now, we are playing being humans, but we're not just the human either. We are still our higher selves, which, which just means the higher portion of us that can do many other things too. And so it may be that someone listening today is actually uh, playing another character somewhere else, maybe even on the same planet. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of things possible that we don't often consider. Um, so it's, 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 very, it's very vast. So I don't know if that speaks to your question, but it's hard to nail down one comment <laughs> yeah. in such a in such a broad context. I just wanted to kind of pick your brain and see what you thought about about that subject. Um, that's a little that what you just mentioned about our, our higher selves is a, a thing that I still kind of consider and try to wrap my head around. As you know, part yeah. of us is here, part of us is somewhere else. Maybe the, even the bigger part of us is somewhere else. Yes, And maybe that part of us can be even doing something simultaneously as we are while we're yeah. here. Do you think that even in, when we're dreaming, are we tapping into part our higher self on other places? So, so to your initial question, yes, our higher self is doing other things. But you got to remember, though, okay, this gets kind of it's hard to talk about from here because linear time itself on Earth is a creation. It's an invention. So we like to think of everything in terms of the A to B time that we experience on Earth. But it's, that time is not even fundamental. So, of course, the higher portion of us that is not bound to it is capable of things that to us seem simultaneous. <laughs> okay. So, but that being said, when we're asleep, um, part, we do visit other portions of ourselves or the human personality portion of us will go do things. And sometimes I feel that dreams are interpretations of those other experience, uh, other experiences into the experience language of the human personality. Um, sometimes dreams are, I feel, I think probably most of the time dreams are something that our own psyche is creating within its own symbolism to help us deal with things in our lives that we need to crunch and you know, we need to process. Or they could even be biological in origin. You screw up brain chemistry, you can prompt, you know, dreams. Um, but we do do, we do go have other experiences while our bodies sleep. And sometimes I feel that dreams are an interpretation of those experiences. I've had out of body experiences while my body sleeps in which I've interacted with other individuals where the environment may appear extremely earth-like. Um, but our bodies are not awake. You know, we're, we're in another place that is very physical, real, so normal, so real. You almost can't tell the difference. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you it's just super, super real. You know, where is that taking place? You know, well, I, you know, I would put terms on it, but I would say that's some in the astral, perhaps in a thought responsive place. I, I don't try to label that too easily. It's, it's not really that important that we label it. At least, you know, that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, the human mind wants to categorize everything and put it in nice, nice, nice neat buckets. But again, we're doing that from the human perspective, which is based on earth. And so there's quite a limitation there. It's, it's, uh, it's better to just go experience it <laughs> and draw one's own conclusions about the structure. 
All right. Well, I need to switch gears on you here because I'm running out of time. Where sure. can someone find your new book? So my new book, A Walk in the Physical, is is on Amazon, but I also have it available for free on my website, um, awalkinthephysical.com. The third link down on the book page is a link to the Google Books page, and there is a read for free button. You can look at it for free. I think it's important that we share this information. It's not about money. It's just important that we allow each other to, you know, be, that we share who we really are while we're here. The book is, I feel, to be honest, I, I feel that it's my life's work. It is my attempt to articulate the higher context of what we're experiencing in a, in a concise way. It's non-linear, which some people may enjoy and some people may not, but it is the way that I felt guided by spirit to present it. So um, I hope to be encouraging to those who read it to help them sense who they really are underneath the human character and to know that there's nothing to fear. You know, that's the main thing I really, I really want to say is like everyone who's listening today, being human is not easy. (laughs) Okay. And I know there's super lots of reasons to be afraid, but ultimately there is no reason to, to fear. There is ultimately there's, there's no death. There's no actual true, true harm that can befall us. And most importantly, we are always, always, always loved, always so deeply loved. Like whoever you are listening, not just this general, nice fairy tale love. I'm talking like universe generating, sun churning love specifically for you. And you may be veiled from that for a while, but it is right there. And I really hope to remind you of that. Um, you know, while you're here, because that's, that's like the most important thing we do for each other while we're here, remind each other, this is who we really are. And there's nothing to fear. And love is always, love is always there for us. What do you think is the best way for people to overcome their fear? So there's a term from, I'll borrow from Tom Campbell again, that I think is really key to that question. That is quality of intent. So each person can find an awful lot about themselves if they really investigate the quality of their own intention. Why are they? Why are you making the decision you're making today? Really, why are you willing to? Are you willing to actually look and see? Is it rooted in fear, or is it rooted in love? And as we are, so willingness is key. Willingness and uh, willingness not only to face and feel what's in there, uh, but willingness to um, own what's in there, and to go find out what our quality of intent is, and to try to improve it towards love. As we do that, our there will be things that rise up for us to be, to face and feel because we are integrators of experience. That's what we're doing. We, we are, we are consciousness. We are the beings who are processing this, you know, having this human experience and, and doing what we can with it. So when you're really willing to do that and you're really willing to own your life and own your stuff and, and face and feel what is arising in your life, you'll be given the opportunities to do that in a very personal way, maybe small, tiny little ways. It's not, There's not one activity that anyone can do. It's highly personal. But when you're willing to do it, you will be given a chance. And the good news is that process is a beautiful, good process, even if there are moments that you may need to face old fears or pains that you've buried for your whole lifetime that seem super, super dark. If you're willing to face that stuff, freedom is what we are. It's on the other side. It's waiting for you. Like there's no... Like the, the, the more painful thing is to be stuck in all the stories of the ego forever and ever and ever and to be living fear, fear, fear all the time. That hurts. <laughs> and many of us hurt so much in our lives for so many years. Eventually we go, you know what? I'm sick of being afraid. I'm sick of hurting. I'm sick of this. 
And then sometimes it takes us getting to that point, you know, that we're willing to actually own the crap when it comes up and face and feel the the things that come up when they do. So it's very personal. So I I can't say just one thing, but willingness is key. Willingness to to find our own intention and, and what that intention is. All right. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and question you directly. Yeah. Or contact you. Uh, are you open to that? And if so, how may they contact you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm open to that. I have an email, a walk in the physical at gmail.com. That's the same web, uh, same uh, email address that's listed on the website. So they can just email me there. And yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to speak to anybody who would like. Um, it's important that we remind each other. You know, I know this, I know this can seem pretty out there to, uh, sometimes, but, um, but the truth is very freeing. And so, uh, yeah, I'm happy to interact with anybody we can. Well, we're out in the wilderness now together. You know, we're out here. We're in the weeds right now. Like All of us listening today that are physical. I'm sure there's non-physical beings listening too, perhaps. But <laughs> for the physical ones among us, we're out in the wilderness together. And, you know, we got to, like, give each other a little fist bump in the middle of the woods, you know, and give each other encouragement when we can. Because it's not easy. Like, I know it's not, I know it's not easy. I'm not, I, you know, so <laughs> I'm happy to help in any small way if I can. Well, you've given us some good stuff. Um, but before we finish, is there one last positive message that you can leave us with? Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate that whoever you are, you are loved. And you are not just the human character that you're playing. Like, who, who are you then? If you're not the human character, if you're not your name, who are you? You're you. The you that feels like you to you. The you that most feels like you to you. The I that you feel, the precious I that you feel within yourself. That's who you are. That thing may be tied up within the human identity for a while. That's not really what you are. Who you are far transcends it. So when your story, when the things you you believe that make your life dark and painful get wrap you up, allow yourself the space to step back and feel just for a moment underneath the story. Who are you? Because man, that there's so much power in that. It's it's far more powerful than we may think of day to day. So I hope, I hope to encourage whoever's listening to do that and to remember, at least in small part, that you're not just the human character while you're on earth right now. Well, thank you for that message, Christian. And thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you the best. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it very much. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.